0: Imagine it's Christmas morning, your family is sitting around the Christmas tree and someone hands you a small wrapped box, a jewelry shaped box. The anticipation is killing you as you carefully begin to unwrap the treasure you've been hinting at all year. Eventually, you can't take it anymore and rip the wrapping off and pry the lid from the box and there it is the gold necklace you've imagined yourself in for months. Oh, the outfits you'll pair this with. We put so much value on precious metals because they're just that, precious. The cost of gold is not insignificant, so to give anything gold, pure gold anyway, can be costly. The wise men knew all too well that the prophesied king would be worthy of this extravagant gift. During Old Testament times, statues of false gods were made out of gold. Gold was a symbol of divinity. The wise men spent their lives studying the stars and the prophecies of the coming Messiah. For years, they waited. They waited and watched, looking to the heavens for a sign that Yahweh was ready to reveal the hope that had been promised since sin entered the world sure that they had found him, they journeyed towards Judea to see the newborn king. Would it be as the stars declare? Would they find the Savior of the world? You can imagine the excitement as they traveled, ready to worship the Son of God and present their gift of gold, a gift fit for a king.
1: Well, good morning, how we doing? Good, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Well, it is, uh, it's Christmas. Like, it's coming, it's here, it's happening. Uh, is, that, is that good news for most of us? I put you in a real tricky position to say no. <laughs> um, so, uh, who's got the lights up at home? Anyone, yeah? Okay, who still plans to put Christmas lights up? I'm losing faith in you, I gotta be honest. I don't know, maybe you'll still get them up. I hope you do. But my wife and I, um, we, got, we got it all up at our house. We love Christmas, we're the kind of people that as soon as we're through Halloween, it's like whenever we have the first available weekend to start putting up Christmas decorations, we're on it. And so. We got the usual suspects, we got the trees, the stockings, right, we got lights outside, we got one of those little uh, blow-up inflatables, which I swore that I would never get one of those before having kids, and isn't it funny, parents, the things you swear off before having kids that you end up doing? (laughs) Hilarious. (laughs) That was a funny sneeze. (laughs) I mean, that was a great sneeze. You are a daughter of the Lord Most High, and I love the way you sneeze, I am so sorry. It was terrible. (laughs) You are. If, if you need counseling after, Reagan would love to help you. <laughs> Where was I? No. And so, but one thing that we were joking about that we don't have, and I know this is kind of embarrassing for a pastor to admit, is we don't have a nativity scene. Okay, I know, oh my gosh. And so we kind of went back and forth, Ashley and I were like, should we buy a nativity scene? Should we not get a nativity scene? And ultimately, we decided to not get a, a nativity scene because we just couldn't foresee a reality in which baby Jesus didn't become like the sixth member of Paw Patrol fighting crime in Adventure City Bay. And yeah, some just felt off about that, seeing Chase and Marshall and baby Jesus. And so we're gonna wait a few more years and get a nativity scene for our boys. But I've got this nativity scene here, which this is actually from our preschool ministry. And by the way, just as a dad of preschoolers, let me just tell you, our preschool ministry is unbelievable. yeah, give it up for them. Uh, and, and the the, the things that, that they do to help our youngest understand and fall in love with Jesus at such a young age. I, I didn't even know it was possible, frankly, before having kids. And so but all that's say, when you look at Nativity scene, you know, you got your usual suspects, you've got your angel, you've got your wise men, this guy's facing the wrong direction. You've got some animals, and of course you have Mary, baby Jesus and Joseph. But but a lot of what we read about in the nativity scene or what we see in the nativity scene comes from a couple places in scripture but particularly Matthew 2:11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so over the next couple of weeks, as you sort of saw in that video, what we wanna to do to begin to prepare our hearts for Christmas is, is we wanna look at, we wanna take a deeper look at the gifts that these wise men brought. And, and we simply wanna ask the question, why? Why gold? Why frankincense? Why myrrh? Is there something Beyond that, are these gifts pointing towards a larger truth? And spoiler alert, week one, the answer is a resounding yes. Yes. These gifts are rich with meaning and significance. And so, what we'll do over the next couple weeks is we will walk through them one by one and look at how they point to who Jesus was and who he would become. And so, this morning, as you already know, we start with gold, right? And gold is a precious. Metal. It is perhaps the highest form of currency. And to this day, but especially back in the New Testament, gold was often reserved for monarchs and dignitaries and kings and queens. And so why did the wise men bring gold? Because the king of kings, Jesus, had been born. And so they brought a gift that was fit for a king and for the king. And so this morning, what I simply wanna spend our time doing is is really just try and answer one question. Who is this king? Because my guess is, in a room of this size, some of you are asking that question. Or someone is, is asking the question of, is he really the king? You've got a little bit of skepticism. I get it. It's a good question. I commend you for that question and for being here. Or some of you might believe that Jesus is the king of kings and and you might at least be able to answer that, but then if pressed, well, why is he? Tell me about this king. Maybe we struggle a little bit more. And so we're gonna look at scripture through the guidance of the Holy Spirit and we're gonna simply try and answer the question, who is this king? Let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to guide and illuminate our conversation. Lord, we come to you now knowing that I myself am a unworthy servant capable of illuminating or interpreting anything that has to do with the marvelousness of who you are and your son, Lord. So Father, we invite you to simply illuminate, point us towards who this king really is, amen. So I think all of us at some level struggle with authority, right, is that fair? Okay, maybe some more than others. I was reminded of this uh, particularly a couple years ago. I was getting my uh, COVID-19 vaccine, and after receiving the vaccine, and I knew this, I had to wait, you know, the mandatory 15 minutes, make sure like you don't grow like an 11th toe or something. And so, I, uh, I should mention, by the way, I, I got my vaccine in like an abandoned Sears and Stonebriar, uh, totally legit operation. Okay, you're forgetting how weird 2020 and 2021 was. But but after I get my shot in the abandoned Sears at Stonebriar Mall, they tell me to go and wait in this sort of sea of white, hard plastic chairs, and they give me a sticker, and they write the time that I will be able to leave on that sticker, and they invite me to sit down. And so, some of you are like this too. After about two minutes, I'm like, no. This is ridiculous. Like I feel like I'm in detention. I feel like I'm in jail in a abandoned Sears at our Mall and that's because I was and this is not going to happen. And so, I see these doors. You know how the big department stores have the doors that lead into the rest of the mall? So I'm like I got a plan. There's a security guard there, but I can outsmart him. I can say I got to go to the bathroom. And I would think myself into needing to go to the bathroom cuz I'm not a liar, right? And so, I walked over there with this plan to tell him, hey, I need to use the restroom. And then I was gonna think myself into forgetting to come back to finish out my 15 minutes because again, I'm not a liar, and so why would I do that? And so I go over there and and I ask him and he just shuts me down. He looks at my sticker and he says, nope, not until it's the time on your sticker. And so I go and I sit down and I waited like all of 11 more minutes. Can you believe it? The price I had to pay. But we all struggle with authority in some level. And you're probably a more compliant person than me, probably far more patient than I am. But at some level, we struggle with authority in our life. And, and recent psychology has really helped us make sense of this through what's called the self-determination theory. Self-determination theory refers to a person's need to make choices and manage their own life. Being self-determined means that you feel in greater control. And one of, the, one of the key parts of this, so to, so to speak, self-determination theory is competency, which is interpreted as the feeling of being able to control outcomes and express mastery. See, it checks out. Because if I had been recommended to wait 15 minutes, I honestly probably would have gladly done it. But for some reason, it was the feeling of my ability to control the situation being taken away that caused me to push back against the authority. We're born with this resistance. And I think it explains why a lot of us struggle with the authority of Jesus in our life. And and not only do many struggle with the authority of Jesus, throughout history and today, many despise the authority of Jesus. You think about What happened in Matthew two, right after Jesus was born or a month or so after Jesus was born, there's another king, King Herod. And King Herod is so threatened by the authority of this little baby that he leverages genocide on any boy under the age of two. And it makes sense when you think about what Paul says in Romans eight, seven. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile towards God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. You see, apart from Christ, left to our own flesh, we are naturally opposed to God. Our natural disposition is to resist God and his law in our life. It's in our broken DNA. And God knew this, God knew that this would be the effects of sin from Genesis two and three, and he knew that because of what happened in the garden, we would now be naturally bent away from God's authority and we would resist it. Flip over to Psalm two, and as you're doing that, that's, that's where we'll be for most of the morning, and so you can just hang there, but, but Psalm two is considered a royal psalm. It's often said to be a, a coronation sort of poem that could have even been read at the coronating of a king. In other words, the installing him of the king of some sort of kingdom. But what's interesting about Psalm 2 is in the background of it is the promise of God's future redemption through the coronation of his son, Jesus. Also Psalm 2 is quoted in Acts 4, you can go look at that after this if you'd like, but in Acts 4, we see the early church is quoting Psalm 2 in light of the Messiah Jesus. And I share all that just so you know that when we read this, interpreting it to mean and to be about Jesus, we are standing in good company. So hopefully you're at Psalm 2. If not, it'll be behind me. But look at verses one through three. Why do nations conspire and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break the chains and throw off their shackles. So we may define things slightly different now, but, but the verbs there in Psalm 2 haven't changed much. Because our king to this day is plotted and conspired against, and many have and many will try to rise up and band together to overthrow the rightful king from his throne. He is dismissed, disregarded, labeled, distasteful, and antiquated. Society screams its natural inclination, let us break the chains and throw off the shackles of this king. And you may be thinking, which is a really fair thought, why does the king being despised Or how does the king being despised in any way prove his validity? Because if King Jesus wasn't despised, the prophecy of Isaiah would have fallen flat. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain, like from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem if Jesus wasn't despised, he wouldn't have been the Messiah and he wouldn't have made it to the cross. St. Augustine, the early church father, says the Lord established his sovereignty from a tree. Who is it that fights with wood? Christ. And from that cross, he conquered kings. So who is this king? He's the despised king. And he was despised because he's the everlasting and almighty King, And that's the second thing you need to know about who this king is. He is almighty and everlasting. Look back at Psalm 2, picking up in verse four, it says, the one enthroned in heaven laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in anger and terrifies them in wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. <clears throat> Excuse me. We need to understand this. The everlasting an almighty king that we're reading about here in Psalm 2 is not threatened by the wars happening to our east and to our west. The king of kings, the almighty and everlasting king is not worried about who's gonna get elected next November. The everlasting and almighty king is not worried about where the next invasion will happen or who's hiding nuclear weapons and who is not. The king of kings is not worried or threatened by the things that you are reading and constantly scrolling on the news. And even more personally, the king of kings, he's not threatened by your boss, by your disobedient kids, by your unfaithful spouse. He cares, he cares deeply, but he can care while also be in perfect control and not threatened by the situation because he's the everlasting and almighty king. In fact, the thought of God being out of control, is comical. It says in verse four, he laughs. Again, I don't think it's consistent with the character of God to think that he's laughing at you and what you're going through, but he laughs at the thought that creation could rebel against his authority. Why? Because so look at verse six. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. The, the Hebrew word installed is is translated in Greek to Messiah. I have installed, I have anointed my Messiah. And who the Lord anoints, who the Lord installs, who the Lord appoints is everlasting, almighty, and is unshakable. That's the good news of Jesus. That's the good news of this season. It's the good news of what we read once this morning, but let's read it again in Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The government rests on his shoulders. What a picture. I love in, in a, the sort of paraphrase translation, The Message, Eugene Peterson writes that as He'll take over running the world. Whew. Anyone need that reminder this morning? Me too. And all of the burdens of ruling will be on his shoulders. And, and, and let me just paint a, a really honest picture for us. Whenever we try and upend the authority, of God, when we try and take the authority from God, when we think that we might find a wonderful counselor, an everlasting father, a prince of peace, and anywhere other than the son, Jesus, God laughs, God laughs. And look, vote for who you want, be politically active, all that, but just understand that the responsibility of creation is on the shoulders of the creator. Not yours, not mine. No one else, because he's the everlasting and almighty God. And because he's the everlasting and almighty king, he's the king we need. And that's the third point about this king. Who is this king? He is the king we need. C.S. Lewis, a 19th century writer, theologian, wrote a short story article called Equality a number of years ago. And in this fascinating little article, C.S. Lewis is arguing a point that, that we were made to be ruled. And you're like, what? You just said that like, we didn't like authority and that we resisted. I, I, we do resist authority, but, but even deeper within us than that resistment, resentment towards authority is a longing to be cared for, looked after, loved, nurtured. Right? And, and C.S. Lewis's whole point really comes down to, to that when, as he says, when men are forbidden to honor a king, they honor millionaires, athletes, or film stars instead, even famous prostitutes or gangsters. For spiritual nature, like bodily nature, will be served. Deny it food, and it will gobble up poison. Something or someone will rule you. You'll submit to something. What is it? Should A relationship, where you're going to get into school, is it your 401k, your investment funds, is it keeping up with a certain status or image, is it your kids being a certain way or getting into certain extracurriculars? Whatever you let rule you, if it's not the king of kings, you will, like C.S. Lewis says, gobble up poison. You will deprive your soul for the nutrients that it needs in lieu of poison. If you go back up to verse three, it says, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. One of the most interesting things I found while looking at Psalm 2 was that that word shackles, a lot of, uh, I guess, Old Testament scholarship suggests that it could be translated as yoke. If you remember, if you were here a couple weeks ago, when Ivy talked on Ruth 1, she, she talked about a yoke. And it, it, a yoke is sort of an agrarian tool it, it, that a farmer or someone would have used to combine two ox to sort of leverage their strength in moving some sort of object or wagon. But but it's also Pretty commonly, commonly known and accepted that in Jesus' time, right, he would have, or the people would have commonly heard the illustration of yoke, meaning for someone or something to submit to a higher authority, right? And, and so you could say, as C.S. Lewis is saying, and I think as Scripture says as well, that we long to be yoked or tethered. To something, And maybe the invitation that you need to hear this morning or be reminded of is what Jesus says in Matthew eleven, twenty nine 29 and 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is easy. Is light. You see, the wise men. They presented gold. To baby Jesus, because they knew that finally, they had been invited into the yoke, that fits them perfectly. They had been invited in to the yoke where they will find rest. And the only place that you will find something to rule you that doesn't bury you deeper and deeper in darkness is in the one who has come to give your soul rest. Because his yoke, you've been tailor-made for. His yoke is the one that fits and fits perfectly. And so, what's our response? How do we respond to a king that is despised, that is almighty and everlasting, but is also the one that we need? How do we respond? Well, I think there's kinda two ways to respond depending on who you are. If you are sort of pledged your allegiance to the king and you are a citizen of his kingdom, then I think your response looks like what we find if you skip down to verses 10, 11, and 12. It says, therefore you kings be wise, be warned your rulers of the earth, Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and you and your way will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Uh, Look at that uh, in verse 11. It says, serve the Lord. While we're on the topic of C.S. Lewis, let me read you another quote. Enemy occupied territory. That is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed, you might say landed in disguise and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. I wonder if our response to this king looks like serving the Lord or participating in the great campaign of sabotage. Maybe it looks like, maybe serving the Lord looks like pushing back against the systems of of hatred and injustice and prejudice, maybe it looks like fighting against darkness. But remember, we fight differently. Right before Jesus went to the cross, some of his followers tried to fight like the world. You know what Jesus said? Whoever draws the sword, dies by the sword. So we fight differently, we don't draw the sword We draw water for the thirsty. We find food for the hungry. We clothe those who go without. In this kingdom and for this king, we fight with radical love and hospitality, welcoming the stranger to the inside. That's how we fight in this kingdom. That's how you serve in this kingdom. You serve like your king served. You lay down everything. If you notice there in verse 11 shortly after, it says, and we celebrate his rule. You know, one of the great things about this kingdom is that the Lord does not desire you to feel like a prisoner in his kingdom. Rather, as we just read, he would like you to celebrate his rule. And before I say this, let me just preface it with this. I believe grace by faith alone is a core, if not the most core, Tenet to the understanding, to our understanding of the gospel, I am convinced that no one is in need of grace more than me on this stage. Christianity is not a box of to-dos that then you can earn relationship with God. So I just wanna lay that out there. However, I don't know if we've swung the pendulum too far. That's not for me to diagnose. I just wanna simply say that if you want to celebrate his rule in your life, then you have to understand his rule and you have to be obedient towards his rule. What that means is doing some things and not doing others. I don't think that's legalism. I think that's biblical obedience, but you can tell me if I'm wrong. We celebrate his rule by serving, excuse me, we celebrate his rule by obediently listening to what our king has called us to. And we move towards those things. And we move away from the kingdoms that we know are not working out for us. The third thing is we kiss the sun. I know that's not language you probably would have thought you would hear this morning in church, but I think we share an intimacy with Jesus. Also probably not language you thought you'd hear in church today. But the reality is this this is maybe the best thing for, for me that the Holy Spirit put on my heart when studying this passage earlier this week. And I was, I was looking at this kiss the sun. I was like, oh, what do I do with that? And then it dawned on me, what kingdom? I mean, really, what kingdom could I participate in where I can even get close enough to the sun? Right? And the reality is the king craves your presence. The king wants you in his presence. The king is more excited when you show up to kiss the sun than you will ever be whenever you show up in the presence of God. And so, how do we respond to a king like this? We celebrate his rule, we serve the Lord, and we kiss the sun. Real practically, you're like, okay, that's still a little ambiguous, can you like kind of zero this on me? Yes, I'm so glad you asked. You spend time with your king, you serve your king. Spend time with your king, that's why we've created these advent guides. You can pick one up out in the atrium after this, and it's just a real simple tool to allow you or to guide you, I should say, on spending time with your king. Your king wants to spend time with you. And so pick one of those up and let it be just a, another tool that you have in your tool belt as you attempt and seek to seek, excuse me, to serve and to spend time with the king. That's the second one. We serve the king. There's a, there's a couple different ways that you can do that, but this time of the year, you, you heard about winter wonderland, and I like to think of winter wonderland as kind of a Christmas present to our community. And I know that's been said about other things, but, but it really is, and the king cares about our community, so therefore, as a reflection of the king, we want to care also about our community, and so You can serve at Winter Wonderland, it's incredible. You heard about it in the video. We need, need volunteers. So go to theheights.org slash Christmas volunteers and there's also a link for the Advent Guide. Now I think there's one other group of people in here. There are those who maybe you're the one that's stuck on the question of who is this king? Is he really even a king? The most succinct way that I can define or that I can communicate who this king is is that he is the ultimate king because he paid the ultimate price. And we need him because we have a debt and we couldn't pay that debt and that debt is sin, but Jesus could. And we needed him to pay that debt and he did, he did. And when he paid that debt, his coronation as king, one in a palace, it was on a cross. And on that cross, he died paying your penalty and restoring relationship for you with the Father. And so all you have to do, your only response, if that's you, your only response is to acknowledge that there is a almighty king and you need that king. You desperately need that king. And if you believe and if you repent, right? Repent, just think of that as you are taking off the yoke of this world. You are taking off the yoke that you know will never fit you and you can no longer to submit to because it's crushing you in the darkness and you move towards the yoke. You move towards the one who has said will give you and your soul rest. And you put on that yoke, that yoke in which you were tailor made perfectly for and you spend your life celebrating his rule. That's it. That's the response this morning. In just a minute, Richard is gonna come out or come up and pray, but if that's you, if, if you are wondering, is it true? Is there really a king that was willing to pay for my debt? Then just come have a conversation with us. We'll be back in that next step room. There will be myself and a few others on staff and just talk. If you gotta hurry somewhere, then just come by and give us your number and we'll catch you at a time that works for you. But we wanna have a conversation. And so, as we close, who is this king? He was a despised king because he was the almighty and everlasting king. And he's the almighty and everlasting king because he's the king we need. And so the wise men, they brought him gold. They brought him gold because in Bethlehem, the king of kings had been born unto us. So bring all the gold. The royalty of God has taken on flesh. You pray with
2: me. Father, we come before you, and we are humbled at the reality that we get to have a relationship and serve under the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Father, this Christmas season, we celebrate the king that was born of a baby. And Father, always allow us to remember, although we live in Dallas, Texas, Richardson, Plano, Allen, Wiley, United States of America, this planet that we call Earth, Father, remind us continually that even though we live here, we are a part of a different kingdom, and we are a part of the kingdom of the Almighty, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Father, allow us as believers of Jesus not to live like citizens of this world, but allow us to live like citizens of the King, and there is responsibility, and there is joy, and there is suffering, and there is so much that's a part of us, and allow us to live in that reality. And Father, finally, for those of us in this room that are not yet part of that kingdom, Pierce just talked about what it takes to be a part of that kingdom. I pray that through your spirit you would eliminate some boldness Encourage for some men and women, some boys and girls in this room, that they may go straight back to that Next Step room, find someone, Father, and I pray that they may have a conversation about a relationship with you. Father, that's our prayer this morning, that, that more people would come to know who a saving knowledge of you uh, are, and Father, that they would confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.